This is VLX number 69, No One Greater. We are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 to 15. God give you his peace, and omni patris, sefirit, spiritus sancti, amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Sifiris, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Our Lord says, Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Well, as most of you know, VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, where the V is for video and the L is for Lexio and the X, I guess that's the CT of the word Lexio, meaning reading. So Divina, which means divine, that's not an abbreviation of VLX, leaves us with VLX. It is a patristic Bible study and Ignatian meditation. By patristic, I mean it's the earliest Christians. And by Ignatian, that is the adjective of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the 16th century saint who founded the Jesuits and taught many men, lay and religious, how to pray with their imagination. And it was taught by women in the same time, uh, by especially St. Teresa of Avila to her nuns. And so in this meditation series, we have both ways. But as I said last time, a lot of the study, the patristic Bible study is going to feed the other way, the Ignatian way, especially if you can go back to VLX2 and just listen to that again. So let's take a look at the first verse that we had here today. Jesus says of St. John the Baptist, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So if you have any familiarity with the Old Testament, you know there was a lot of great prophets and saints raising the dead, parting the Red Sea. This is a big deal for our Lord to say John the Baptist is the best, uh, essentially. My favorite church father in seminary is St. Peter Chrysologus. St. Peter Chrysologus. And I haven't read a lot of him in my priesthood, but here's a great quote from him. He talks about John the Baptist. Quote, John is the school of virtues, the authority on life, the model of sanctity, the norm of justice, the mirror of virginity, the title of modesty, the example of chastity, the way of repentance, the forgiveness of sins, the discipline of faith. John is greater than a man equal to the angels, the summation of the law, the sanction of the gospel, the voice of the apostles, the silence of the prophets, the lamp of the world, the herald to the Jews, the precursor of Christ, who pointed out the Lord, a witness to God in the midst of the entire Trinity. Of course, it's not saying that Christ is the one who pointed the Lord. Christ is the Lord. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. John the Baptist was the one who is the precursor. That means the forerunner, the one who runs in a stadium before um, the, uh, the final runner, the one who's going to win the race for us. But notice again, see, John's not just some crazy guy in the desert. It says John the Baptist is greater than a man equal to the angels. He doesn't mean that literally. He's, he has the um, you know, same cells and, and hair that any man does. But John is greater than a man equal to the angels, the summation of the law, the, san- the sanction of the gospel, the voice of the apostles, the silence of the prophets, the lamp of the world. Okay, then we have this line, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
Greater than who? Greater than John the Baptist. Okay, does this mean everyone baptized is greater than John the Baptist? This confused me for a while in seminary. Father Lapide puts words in Christ's mouth. I mean that in a good sense. Father Lapide says, It is as though Christ said, I, Christ, who in age and in the opinion of the common people am less than John in preaching, in the kingdom of heaven am greater than he, because I so preach that I at the same time inspire grace by which believers in me may indeed attain this kingdom, end quote. St. Augustine explains it as though to say, I, Christ, who am younger in age than John, am nevertheless greater in majesty, eternity, power, grace, and glory. But then Father Lapide also considers what I had thought in seminary. He says, the less, that is, the least Christian in the kingdom of heaven or the church, which preaches and leads to the kingdom of heaven is greater, that is, of higher dignity than John. Greater, I say, by reason of the status of the church, and by the very nature of the gospel, he is able to be greater than John was. So notice it doesn't mean I in 2021 am better than John, but there is a higher dignity of belonging to the new Israel than to the old Israel. Now here's a very confusing line. This was uh, verse 12. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. This was another line that was debated in seminary. It seems to say in Lapide, as he conglomerates all the church fathers, the earliest Christians, that it's basically saying the speed by which this much grace of the new covenant must be captured is tantamount to violence. The speed by which this much grace of the new covenant must be captured is tantamount to violence. Let's see what the fathers say about this. Father Lapide says the kingdom is surrounded and, as it were, invaded by everyone in such a way that sinners, publicans, harlots, and Gentiles by the fervor of the spirit and of their repentance, seize it in advance and, as it were, carried off by force away from the Pharisees and Jews themselves who thought that it belonged to them alone as the children of Abraham. See, this shows the fervency of the early Christians, even the ones who were sinners, publicans, harlots, Gentiles, those, those getting baptized, they raced to Christ and the waters of baptism while the Pharisees drug their feet. How horrible is that for them that this much grace in the New Testament and they're sitting around discussing old school canon law. But there's this much grace which must be grasped, which must be ran after. You have to run after this much grace is what he's saying here. Ambrose adds, The church has taken away the kingdom from the synagogue. Christ is my kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is taken by force when Christ is denied by those of his own household and is worshipped by the Gentiles. He is taken by force when he is rejected by the former, but revered by us. Father Lapide continues, Because for the kingdom of heaven's sake, worldly men do violence to themselves and to their vices by repentance, poverty, continence, mortification. Hence, St. Luke says, everyone useth violence toward it. And then this is also the interpretation of St. John Chrysostom, St. Jerome, and Pope St. Gregory the Great. In other words, mortification. This was one of those lines or interpretations in seminary that I knew a guy, he didn't like that because I think he had been taught that and didn't like the idea that violence equals mortification. But this is the saints, St. John Chrysostom, St. Jerome, St. Gregory. When you do mortification, you know, sleep on the floor, old school saints, even up, actually, even some modern saints whip themselves, take the discipline, put on the solace. Even fasting is in some sense violence to yourself, but it's, it's a healthy violence. We're not supposed to do the bad violence, but the healthy violence, because that mortification is the death to yourself that brings life. And this is the interpretation of the saints, even though it's not very popular. 
Now the word violence or suffering in Latin, it's very interesting. It means being moved also at the same time. So there seems to be either a play on words or actually tapping the ancient languages by this idea that by violence we move Christ to mercy in a certain sense. Listen to St. Ambrose. Quote, we do violence to the Lord not by compelling him, but by weeping before him, not by provoking with injuries, but by entreating with tears, not by blaspheming through pride, but by sorrowing through humility. O blessed violence, which is not chastised with indignation, but is condoned in mercy. Then we hear later, we attack him not with swords, nor staves, nor stones, but with meekness, good words, chastity. These are the weapons of our faith by which we strive in our contest. So we hope to move Christ himself through our weeping, our sorrow, our humility, so that he will answer our prayers. I'm also reminded of a line from St. Gregory Nazianzen. He says, The priest sunders with unbloody cut the body and blood of the Lord using his voice as a sword. That's a reference to Holy Mass. This is why we understood the double consecration to be violence to God, as the old school saints would say. It's not very popular these days. Again, the priest sunders with unbloody cut the body and blood of the Lord using his voice as a sword. A little more on this line on violence, quote, He alludes to an opulent city set upon a mountain which must be stormed by great force, which is, in fact, conquered by the throngs of invading soldiers who covet its riches. He alludes especially to the kingdom of Canaan, or the promised land, which the Hebrews under Joshua conquered by force of arms. This was a type of the kingdom of heaven. In like manner, heaven is to be won by the sons of earth with great effort, scaling the heights by their heavenly conversation. The Empyrean sky is so high, so lofty, so far above the earth, that were any one to live for 8,000 years, and were every day to climb in perpendicular height 100 miles, he would yet not reach the top. Now, I want to mention real quick, on one of my CPXs, I said that the body of Jesus is in space, that he really still has eyelashes, hair, beard, um, Dr. Taylor Marshall corrected me on one thing on that. He does agree, as he actually ironically said in the a podcast he put up at the same time. I hadn't heard it. We were both talking on Ascension, um, Ascension Week. The body of Jesus is indeed still intact with beard, lips, earlobes, er- everything together. It's the same body that is in the tabernacles in every Catholic church. Now, here's it was just one small thing that I was wrong on. I basically alluded to the idea that the body of Jesus was in outer space, but Dr. Taylor Marshall showed me um, for Thomas Aquinas, there's three areas of space. There's the area still within our atmosphere that's space, and then there's beyond that, which we now call outer space. But then there's the heavens where we would find the body of Mary and Jesus. That's the Empyrean heavens. And it's interesting because even secular scientists admit there is a limit to outer space. I think it's like 100 billion light years across or something. I can't remember. I'll have to check that. But it's beyond that that the body of Jesus, still physical. That doesn't mean it's a a purely um, spiritual reality. It's still the physical body. And I was correct about that. But it's in something St. Thomas Aquinas calls the Empyrean heavens or the Empyrean sky. And this is our goal is to make it there to heaven. And, you know, this is why it's um, basically Jesus is saying this is hard to get there. This is why he uses the word violence. You have to do violence to your passions, to your will, to your desire. You have to die to yourself to make it to something as great as heaven. That doesn't mean we Catholics are pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But St. Thomas Aquinas teaches for a goal as high as heaven, for a supernatural goal as high as heaven, we need supernatural grace. See, that's why it's not good enough to be a good person to get to heaven. A supernatural goal 
requires supernatural rockets to get there. And essentially supernatural cooperation with those rockets to get there. This is why not everybody's saved. And this is why our Lord is talking about this violence, because, hate to say it, it's hard to get there, you know? Uh, Father Lapide continues, Again, we must not only go up on high, but also overcome many twists and turns, boulders and thorns, passing by many enemies and spears, that is, through many temptations, difficulties, persecutions, adversities, all of which must be conquered with great force and great courage. We're going to come back to this for the Ignatian method. He gives us an example from the saints. In the life of Saint Perpetua and her fellow martyrs, we read on March 7th that she was forewarned of her martyrdom in a dream. She beheld a golden ladder reaching from earth to heaven, which was hedged in and surrounded on all sides by knives and short, sharp swords. By this ladder they had to climb up to heaven. At its foot lay a horrible dragon who sought to hinder the climbers. She saw, moreover, one of her companions, Satyrus by name, bravely climbing the ladder and inviting his companions to follow him. When she had related her vision to her companions, they all understood that they were to suffer martyrdom. And so it happened to every one of them. And let's look at the last line today. By the way, in the beginning, I forgot to mention one more thing in the announcements. It looks like YouTube is going to make mandatory advertisements on all videos. I do apologize for that, but eventually they say they're going to make, or they at least reserve the rights to start adding advertisements. So even though I promise to make this non-monetized, if they add those, I'll add them before they do. But hopefully we don't get ads on this thing because I like to keep this very uh, modest. I know I don't like the ads that I see pop up, so I'm going to do my best to keep no ads on this. However, be aware that I am backing up all these videos on BitChute, B-I-T. C-H-U-T-E. So if you get tired of YouTube, or I get booted, or I just leave because of the forced advertisements, you can switch this entire series to BitChute. Channel is also Padre Peregrino. Okay, this line. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father Lapide says, Again, the Old Testament which consists of the law or Pentateuch and the prophets, the latter including the hagiographa or holy writings consisting of the Psalms and wisdom literature, prophesied until John. That is, they taught the unrefined Jews not so much to love as to fear God by the hope of temporal rewards and an earthly kingdom and to worship him by means of sacrifices and external rites and ceremonies which were shadows and types of Christ. But John began to preach the new doctrine of repentance and the love of God through hope in the kingdom of heaven and of obtaining celestial goods by means of internal acts of contrition, piety, adoration, and worship of God, by which we are truly and perfectly justified through Christ. That's an excellent line right there from Father Lapide. Basically, he's saying you get temporal earthly war rewards in the Old Testament. This is kind of the... Um, uh, Joel Olstein idea of the health and the wealth. If, if you're faithful to God, you get all these riches. Well, there's a truth to that in the Old Testament. Look at Job. Look at Moses. Um, you know, some of the prophets didn't end well for him, <laughs> Elijah and Jeremiah. But, but the Old Testament did promise uh, earthly rewards. But already we see John the Baptist living out this poverty, living out this martyrdom. His head would literally be sh cut off. And he's showing now, this is why he's the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now he's showing the riches in poverty and now the internal acts of adoration, contrition, piety, and worship of God. We talked last time about how John is the morning star. He is the threshold between the Old and the New Testament. Here you're going to hear the word Lucifer. That just means light bearer. It's not a reference to Satan. 
But Father Lapide says, John the Baptist was like the morning star, Lucifer, light bearer of the gospel who put an end to the shadows and the obscure night of the old law and ushered in the clear day of the new law. Okay, let's look at this last verse. And if you receive it, he is like Elias that is to come. Now, Father Lapide, or the translators of Father Lapide, they use the Dewey Rhymes version, Malachias and Elias. That just means Malachi and Elijah. But since this is translated from the Dewey Rhymes, we'll use the Dewey Rhymes translation. And so what about this line, why he's like another Elias? As I said last time, this doesn't. This is not promoting some type of reincarnation, right? But Father Lapide says, In the same way that Elias shall convert your children and descendants at the end of the world by a like zeal and purity of life to the same Christ. Thus St. Jerome says, quote, John is Elias who is to come, not because the same soul was in both Elias and John, as the heretics imagine, but because they had the same grace of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Why Jesus compares Elijah and John the Baptist isn't some idea that it was the same soul in both of them, but the same grace of the Holy Spirit. John was girded as Elias was. St. Jerome continues, Like Elias, he lived in the desert. He suffered persecution from Herodias as Elias did from Jezebel, so that just as Elias shall be the precursor of the second coming, so too is John of the Lord our Savior when he came in the flesh. Not only in the desert, but even in his mother's womb, he saluted him and announced him by the leaping of his body. So remember the church fathers say Elijah will come right before the second coming of Christ. So isn't that interesting? Elijah lived before John the Baptist, but he's going to come at Christ's second coming, where John the Baptist lived after Elijah, and he made ready the way for Christ's first coming. Kind of an ironic flip of things. Father Lapide says, From this testimony of Malachias, or Malachi, the Jews, even to this day, are eagerly expecting Elias, that he may show Christ unto them, and explain all the doubtful manners of the law, and therefore they hold him in great account. And finally, this last line, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That is, for hearing, as the Syriac translates it, that is, to understand and obey. The Arabic has hearing ears. So notice this just means listening so as to obey. And now for the Ignatian mental prayer, the way of imagination. I'm going to have you picture Jesus with you, either in your home or walking outside. And I want you to thank him for your past tribulations and future tribulations. I know that sounds so sweet as to give you a toothache, especially the people out there who are suffering a lot and don't feel like thanking Jesus. But I guarantee it's going to be better than just complaining about your sufferings. And here's why. Can you think of something you look back on, maybe a sickness or a hospital stay, that made you realize everything that you're thankful for? Maybe even made you thank God for conquering that sickness or a broken bone or whatever else? how you came out stronger. We hear a lot of secular news about that. Someone came out stronger from suffering. How much more we Christians who are given all the fullness of sanctifying grace should we be able to look back and say, wow, this made me stronger. You know, we have this line even from Acts of the Apostles. St. Paul, I say, I say even because this is, you know, Charismatic's favorite book of the Bible is frequently Acts of the Apostles. Um, but St. Paul says right there, only through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I like, tr- I like charismatics. I'm not making fun of that. But even this book of the Bible, full of speaking in tongues and miracles, St. Paul tells us right there, only through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, uh, it's this gauntlet that is going to get you to the final goal. If you're not going through the gauntlet of suffering, you're not on the right path. And so this is where... 
not that all of life is supposed to be miserable and every second suffering, but that's kind of how you know you're on the right path. Only through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So remember this line from Father Lapide. He says, again, we must not only go up on high, but also overcome many twists and turns, boulders and thorns, passing by many enemies and spears, that is, through many temptations, difficulties, persecutions, adversities, all of which must be conquered with great force and great courage. You know, so sorry to sound like a megachurch pastor, but I'm going to put it in a question. Are you, just like the megachurch pastors, are you overcome by many twists and turns, boulders and thorns, passing by many enemies? If so, then you have a lot to be thankful for. I'm not kidding. This is where you should thank Jesus because um, this, these are actually springboards to heaven, especially when you conquer them, as Father Lapide says, with great force and great courage. So talk to our Lord, whether inside, walking around a lake, at the beach, up a mountain, about past tribulations, maybe even future tribulations. Don't ask for more suffering, but do ask for thanksgiving and self-surrender to the pathway that you are walking with Christ, that if we are faithful to this burden, which remember he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, will bring us to the beatific vision to see one day the blessed Trinity face to face. Please say an hour, Father, for me, at benedictio Dei omnipotentis, pacis et spiritus sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.